0: All Things Conceivable, a surrogacy podcast with Nazca Fontes. Thank you for joining me today. I have to tell you, I'm excited to get behind the mic. I'm actually in the process of taking a little break for myself. I know during these times we all need to, to have one, and it's so important just to take a few moments to step back relax, recharge, rejuvenate. And that's what I'm doing today. And I have to say it's actually presenting as a little bit more relaxed today with the microphone. So I'm really excited to have you join me. And we have a, a very special guest. Um, today we're talking about how COVID is impacting the surrogate world. And what matters to you is you are in or about to embark upon a surrogacy journey during this unprecedented time. Uh, COVID-19 is bringing uncertainty as we all know and yet for many people there's more determination than ever to find that path to family building. Today we're grateful to have fertility specialist Dr. Marie Warner with us. She's a leading reproductive endocrinologist with RMA New Jersey and she's joining us today to talk about COVID-19 and how it's affecting surrogacy and we're about to learn more. Dr. Werner, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on All Things Conceivable, a surrogacy podcast.
1: It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. I really enjoy being able to talk with you today and hopefully share some insight on your questions. Wonderful. Well, why don't we start by asking you to share with our listeners a
0: little bit about yourself and specifically your role at RMA New Jersey?
1: Sure. Um, So I'm Dr. Marie Werner, and I'm one of the fertility specialists at Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. Um, I've had the pleasure of being here for now seven years, and over this past year, I took on a leadership role and now help with um, directing the third-party services that includes gestational carriers, egg donations, sperm donors, um, to try to make sure our team works seamlessly with our patients and gives them the best possible outcome. So I'm really excited to be able to talk with you today.
0: So for those out there who are listening who may be new to the world of assisted reproductive technology and third-party reproduction specifically, um, tell us a little bit about how your role um, helps those who are considering surrogacy and a surrogacy journey.
1: Sure. So... The patients that are considering surrogacy really come from all walks of life. Some patients can be those that have tried multiple times to get pregnant, and for some reason, their body won't stick a pregnancy. For others, they might actually be born without a uterus and have no ability to carry a pregnancy. Um, In additional situations, we have our same-sex male couples who um, are looking to use a surrogate as well to start their family. So really, it's The span of patients that we treat that could use a gestational carrier is really pretty expansive. So each story is a little bit different. Um, Where I come in is a lot of times patients are starting their journey um, in my office. Um, We're sort of going through their detailed history, figuring out why they need a surrogate or whether or not they would be a good candidate to do it this way. Um, And we do a complete medical evaluation, and usually the first step for me is going to be referring them to an agency like Conceivabilities, where they can start to find a carrier that might fit their needs. In the interim, um, we're also talking about how we're getting that carrier pregnancy before we even have a carrier. And so a lot of times what that means is doing an IVF cycle. Um, For those of you that are not familiar with IVF, IVF is in vitro fertilization, where we stimulate a woman's ovaries to grow many eggs. We fertilize them, we make an embryo, and then that embryo stays in the freezer until we're ready to use it. And then once we find a gestational carrier, that's really where we can make a big difference. But finding the gestational carrier is really important. at the sort of great assistance of agencies like Conceivabilities to sort of help find that perfect individual so that I can then do the medical piece of it and transfer the embryo back to a well-screened carrier once we're ready.
0: What a great synopsis. Thank you for that. That was just so perfect. Um, so one of the reasons that having this conversation with you today was so important to me, um, to our listeners, and in particular those who come to, to both you and your practice and to, to us at Conceivabilities is to find that carrier. But really, as you know, many of our listeners know, we're living in a very unique time. And a lot of the conversations that we have today really center around the concern that folks have about embarking on a surrogacy journey during a time of COVID. So how has COVID affected, affected you and your practice, uh, your fertility clinic, RMA? You know,
1: tell me a little bit about what you have seen in the last uh, 10 months. Sure. Um, well, I would say for certain, no one expected COVID and this pandemic to last as long as it did. And that sort of plays into some of our thoughts about what makes the most sense for patients that are embarking on this journey. Um, I would say in the very beginning when everything exploded in February and March, I think everybody was really concerned and didn't know what the right answer was. Um, Our practice really had a strong commitment to our patients, and we know that fertility doesn't wait, building a family doesn't wait, no matter really what's going on in the world, and so we stayed open through it all. Um, and now I would say, I think we have a really efficient system in place to make sure our patients are feeling like we're doing everything in the power to limit exposure, um, for every sort of piece of the journey. Although of course, nothing's perfect. So there are always risks involved. And I think it's really important that our patients are aware of those risks before proceeding. So our first step, um, at RMA and J again, was to stay open and to continue treating our patients. So I mentioned, you know, the first thing, um, In order to get a carrier pregnant is we need to do an IVF cycle to make sure that we have embryos to get that carrier pregnant with so the family can start their journey. Um, With an IVF cycle, the way we've been managing the situation is we are testing all of our patients for COVID with a swab at the start of their treatment cycle. Every state's a little bit different right now, but with New Jersey, the governor's executive order did also require us to test patients six days before any procedure. That includes egg retrievals and embryo transfers. So we're abiding by those rules and doing that. Um, we are also counseling our patients that if you test positive, it does mean we're canceling your cycle. And that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on when you've gone through so many days of medication and anticipating and preparing for this really exciting time where you might have to be canceled. But that really also speaks to the safety of what we're doing and how we're doing it to make sure not only our patients stay safe that we're talking about, but also all the other patients and providers in the practice. And our patients have been very understanding of that. And I think um, I would, I would just be appreciative of sort of our relationship with our patients to get them to that point, because all of this is so emotional, as you know. It, it really is. It's so emotional. And, you know, when
0: back in March, when the American Society for Reproductive Medicine issued those abrupt guidelines, I think that we were all you know, feeling our way and finding our way. And it was difficult for us to have such an an abrupt notification without an ability to have a conversation. And in particular, what we have seen since then, as we've studied the patient population, that that guidance was really troublesome for their care and how they wanted to be in control of that care. You know, it took away the ability to have those conversations with their providers to determine really what was in their best interests. Would you agree?
1: Well, I have a lot of respect for the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, and I think um, I think it was such uncertain times that they were trying their best to offer um, patients the best guidance that they could. And we have to remember that not every fertility center is the same. Um, you know, a fertility center like ours is um, freestanding. We're not in a hospital, so we might be different than a fertility center that might be localized or utilizing hospital resources or have a different exposure level. So I think those mm-hmm. guidelines did come out with sort of everybody in mind, just not maybe particular practices that might be able to do things a little bit differently. Um, you know, we were part of those initial conversations and we know the discussion was was difficult and challenging on many aspects, but at the end of the day, patient autonomy is really important, especially when we're talking about a situation where we know eggs don't wait for us. Um, and so we felt like, Fertility treatment is essential. Um, building a family is essential, and we couldn't take that away from the patients. And and you know, a difference here too is we felt like we could provide a safe environment while doing it. And I think that we've been able to do that so far, um, and we're hoping to just continue the same pathway. Well, it sounds like when you when you made that decision back in March, it really was, of course,
0: with the idea of you know patient safety being. Uh, primary for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so far, it sounds as if RMA New Jersey has been very successful in that endeavor. Have you had any issues with um, uh, cycles getting canceled, with surrogacy journeys being, being put on hold because of the exact safety measures that you put in place to protect everybody? Because it sounds like it's working.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. We've had patients that have had to be canceled, and they were counseled beforehand that this was a possibility. Um, There have been patients, even though they're trying their best to isolate and self-quarantine during the cycles, which is what we're recommending, who have tested positive because these people, you know, have to go to work and engage in the community even when they're being as safe as they can. Um, And we've canceled the cycles and thankfully we have not had risks of transmission within the practice because we are monitoring temperatures, we're wearing appropriate PPE, um, and doing all the things that we can. It's not to say it can't happen, because it of course can, but we're, we're doing our best there. We've also had surrogates that have tested positive um, before coming to RMA, because part of the screening process is your carrier needs to be tested before they come here. And um, we've had journeys delayed because of it, but I've also had that same carrier have a successful outcome um, after that. And so it's just about managing expectations because there's so much unknown right now. And we're really trying our hardest to keep everyone safe. And I think as long as we have this nice open discussion with our patients about what could happen um, and how we would manage it, um, we are still in a good place where the journey can continue. It's just a matter of how long do we need to wait until everyone's feeling well that we can get restarted. So I have found over the course of the past ten months that you know the the motivation
0: to continue one's family building journey is impressive even during these times. Um, you know we didn't know what to expect when everything unfolded in the beginning of March, middle of March, and what we found is just an enormous desire on behalf of the intended parent population to still pursue this while feeling their way forward, right? They didn't have many answers. Physicians didn't have many answers, but that overarching desire to continue to find their way through and not take their foot off the gas was really a remarkable thing to observe. So to the point that you just made about having very open conversations, having informed consent, uh, the participants knowing what the risks are, can you walk me through what it might look like for a patient and a surrogate who presents to you and says, okay, here we are, Dr. Werner, we're matched, we, we found this ideal woman to be our carrier. The surrogate says, I, I'm aware of the risks and understanding of the obstacles that we may face. Um, but tell us how to take one step forward, put one foot in front of the other. Um, how would you manage this going forward, in particular, if someone does test positive? It might be kind of a sidetrack, right, but mm-hmm. they could get right back on track once uh, the illness passes or the positivity goes down. So tell me a little bit about how you would manage a journey where there is uh, a positive COVID scenario.
1: Sure. So before we um, bring our patients to RMA in New Jersey for their initial screening, the first conversation is, you know, right now with coronavirus, these are the sort of things that we look out for any signs or symptoms of the disease. You have to be honest and forthcoming with us because Um, we're not with you every day to really detect exposure, nor could we test you every day, or would it be practical? We have the same conversation with the intended parents. There is the risk of coronavirus, you could get it, the carrier could get it, and it might halt our journey at any point in the process. Um, We also talk about before this starts, what does it mean to be pregnant and have coronavirus? Because stopping treatment is a lot easier than what does it look like if your carrier is pregnant and now has the virus? And the the information there is also limited. We've only been dealing with this for the you know past 10 months, as you have said. And so the literature that we know and what the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology um, has put out there is it is still safe to conceive. No one's telling anybody not to conceive, but we are telling pregnant patients that they are considered a higher risk population. And the CDC just updated that guideline as well. So it's important for everybody to know that that, that is the case. And to try to limit exposures as much as possible, we're still recommending PPE, washing hands, infection precaution. If you have an individual that's sick, you should be, um, that you know you've been in contact with, you should be quarantining. So, all of those regulations that are out there for the general public is what ACOG supports. um, And that's what we're counseling our patients about. But it's also important to know that if you are pregnant and you become sick with any virus, even coronavirus, Your likelihood of getting sicker um, faster in comparison to if you weren't pregnant could be altered. It could be faster. And that's why the CDC has listed it as a possible risk factor. Um, So patients who are in high-risk jobs or settings, we might be telling them to take a step back. Can you work remotely if possible? Absolutely. And so these are the conversations we're having up front so that everybody feels comfortable with what the carrier is going to be exposed to and how can we mitigate risk as much as possible. That sort of moving forward from there, I would say, is um, let's say we, like in your scenario, we have a successful embryo transfer and the carrier is pregnant. Um, Or take it a few steps back, I would say, first. Let's say we're preparing the carrier for pregnancy. She might be on medications and um, we do the COVID swab and it's positive. Now, all of a sudden, we've canceled her travel plans. She's no longer coming to New Jersey for her transfer. But the embryo is fine the embryos don't get thawed until the day of the transfer so while we've lost time we've mitigated our risk as much as possible we'll of course advise that carrier needs to be seen by a medical professional Um, and once she is asymptomatic for at least two weeks the cdc is now saying 10 days Um, we're using a guideline of two weeks right now just to be extra cautious we have that carrier get retested for coronavirus and if they're negative they can proceed Um, because we do truly believe that the course of the virus does not impact the surrogate's journey moving forward. So what's so unique about this too is that, you know, you certainly are the medical expert
0: in this, and when we're having our own conversations on the agency level, you know, there's often a unique set of anxieties associated with pursuing surrogacy during a pandemic, and what we look to is we let our medical partners provide the context for what's appropriate for their treatment. But what we look to often is the implications of the match and the implications of time. And you just noted, you you, you don't lose, um, you've mitigated risk and you've lost a little bit of time. But really what's important is that there's the ability to reconnect, regroup, and move forward once the virus subsides. And for us having those conversations at the agency level, that's something that we really emphasize for for addressing those unique anxieties that our intended parents and surrogates um, might have regarding moving forward during COVID. And what we say to them is, look, if you have found a great match, embrace it, relish it, build that relationship. If we do need to hit pause along the way, that's okay. As long as there's commitment and communication, I think that's the best way forward as opposed to, you know, not moving forward whatsoever and waiting for the what ifs to occur and not knowing really how long this will take to emerge from the pandemic. It could be months, it could be more than that. So what we try and advise is let's let the medical experts handle your care, but let's get you matched and let's let's at least move forward with the relationship and manage it along the way. What do you think about that approach?
1: Yeah, I I would certainly agree with you. Um, I think it may be in March or April, we might have all had a little bit of trepidation sort of saying those words, but I am certainly on board because we don't know when this is going to end. And we're not only thinking about the urgency of matching or finding that right individual that may not be available a few months from now, but also thinking about these patients who might have been trying for a long time and are already a little bit older We don't want to put their family building on hold because that adds a new set of complications. And so while life is never perfect, I think that we have appropriate ways to manage care from a medical aspect where I don't think people should be waiting um, to start this process. And I absolutely agree with how you're counseling your patients. So let's talk a little bit
0: about the the management of a pregnancy. So let's say, you know, we embark on this together in partnership with your patients, our clients, and our matches, and we get to that wonderful day of embryo transfer, and we've mitigated risk, and everybody is healthy. And now we have a pregnant carrier on our hands. Um, I I know you don't practice as an OB-GYN, but do you have any unique perspective or insight into how some of your colleagues are managing carriers during this time?
1: Sure. So I think the important part is doing, um, minimizing visits so that you have appropriate medical care. Um, but if you have follow-ups or things that it might just be related to counseling, doing as much telehealth as possible in between those visits that need to be in person. And so, um, you know, the first trimester screening is always really important. Everyone's still doing that. The ultrasound exams. Um, but maybe if they have counseling um, questions about their test results. So maybe the NIP test, um, NIPT test comes back, that can be done over the phone. Um, It doesn't have to be done in person. So I think we're using strategies to try to minimize in-office exposure as much as possible when we can. Um, But obstetrical care as per usual is still happening with no sort of changes there. Um, You know, those patients are not getting screened for additional coronavirus unless they're symptomatic. Um, if a carrier does become pregnant, usually most of our carriers are the healthiest possible individuals. So their risk of truly developing complications is on the lower side, but of course they would need to seek medical care if they become positive. Um, but their obstetrical care really doesn't doesn't change even with a pandemic going on. Let's pivot a little bit back to
0: RMA New Jersey, if you don't mind. You know, since March we've experienced the initial surge, particularly in your neck of the woods, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. The tri-state area in the northeast region. Uh, The second surge seemed to be elsewhere in the country, the Sunbelt in particular. And now for our listeners who may be listening presently or sometime in the future, we are now staring down, you know, a third uh, winter surge that seems to be widespread throughout the country. Have you and your colleagues in RMA New Jersey had any conversations about how you might be
1: mitigating risk during this third surge? Or is it the same as it's always been? Um, We've certainly had those conversations. I feel like the conversation about coronavirus and how we can better treat our patients is continually evolving. I don't know that there's a day that goes by without talking about it. Um, You know, right now we are thinking about more options for more telehealth communication for patients that just require counseling and don't require visits. Um, In the early mornings, we've spaced out sort of our monitoring hours where we might see the most patients to include an additional hour of monitoring so that we don't have as many patients in the office together at once. Um, We've also talked about expanding hours further, um, potentially um, also limiting the total number of patients that are in our office at one time. But beyond that, you know, we need to see our patients for specific visits. Um, As you probably know, it's important to make sure that things like um, the lining of the uterus develops adequately on a surrogate or for an IVF cycle that we're monitoring follicular growth. So there's a lot of what we do that can't be done remotely, Um, but we are making sure we have access to PPE. We are counseling all of our patients about risk. And hopefully with this vaccine coming soon, we'll have another sort of um, increased ability for protection of healthcare workers can start to take get that vaccine as well. So
0: there's been a lot of lessons learned over the past 10 months and I think we've come an incredibly long way to mitigating risk and managing patient care. Do you think that there's any particular watch outs coming that we haven't really thought of? I know that's asking you to peer into a crystal ball, right? That, that none of us really have, Absolutely. but in, yeah. in those conversations that you have had, you know, any sort of what ifs that might come up where you're trying to peek around the corner and and prevent something from happening.
1: So I think that some of the what ifs that we think about are, well, what if there are border lockdowns because some of our carriers are coming from different states than the patients are living in. Um, And so we always talk about, well, what happens if you can't be there for the delivery because there's, you might have COVID or maybe you can't get there physically. So we talk about, you know, travel plans, whether it's the ability to drive, having someone in the state where the carrier is, um, and all different sorts of situations where how can we be prepared for the what if that we can't expect or anticipate. Um, We can never anticipate everything, but we are trying our best to try to see how else we can counsel a patient or prevent them from a situation that that might carry additional sort of concern for them or anxiety. And so we've certainly been talking about everything. But as far as sort of changes in what this virus will entail, I don't know. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll be out of this soon. I think um, Dr. Fauci has said maybe looking towards the spring of next year, certainly hopeful for that to get everyone back on track to sort of normal life here. Indeed yeah I I wish we all had that
0: crystal ball right but I I have to tell you I'm just amazed at how well all of us in this field have navigated this pandemic and I think that it really is um, testimony to the resilience of those who are involved in this most precious endeavor of family building intended parents don't want to wait and you're so right about that eggs don't wait And even for us at the agency level in March, we had no idea what was going to happen. And yet, you know, we've made 150 matches this year. It's amazing, it's incredible, with very little impact from the virus. Now we've had our lessons that we've learned and we have now gained particular insights into how to manage travel more effectively and local matches more effectively and um, to have those conversations that address some of the anxieties more effectively. So as you plan for 2021, you know, we've talked about the vaccine around the corner. We've talked about, um, you know, Dr. Fauci and his assessment of what might be in the spring. Any particular learnings for RMA New Jersey and how this, this process or this experience for all of us will impact patient care after the pandemic recedes?
1: Will you be doing things differently? I think that's an excellent question. I think we'll all be a little anxious to do things differently. Um, just because we don't know what's next or what's out there, um you know we've seen other waves of similar viruses impact other parts of other different countries that thankfully haven't impacted here, so you know i'm not sure what the future will entail. I know that we'll keep our doors open though I know we'll continue to see patients we'll continue to help them build their families um, without waiting. And so I think that's the most important take-home message is I don't know how things are going to change. And we're certainly always going to be at the forefront of making sure we provide our patients with evidence-based practices. Um, But part of that is realizing that fertility is an essential service um, and that we're going to be here for them. And I think that you guys are doing the same thing and we'll continue to navigate this journey all together. But I don't think um, waiting makes a ton of sense given we just don't know what will happen next. Even if this goes away, will there be another virus next year that will be similar to it? And so I would encourage all of my patients, all of your patients, to continue moving forward. And I, I also agree with you that their resilience is amazing. Part of the reason or one of the main reasons why we kept our doors open is we heard from our patients and we listened. And we understood that this was not something that anybody wanted to put on hold. And so I think you guys feel the same way too, which we really appreciate. Absolutely,
0: we do. It's so important. And, uh, you know, after doing this for so many years, there's still a tremendous amount of um, lessons to be learned. And this one was a great year for those lessons in a positive way. We really learned how to navigate some pretty choppy waters. And it was with partners like you that made that possible. Well, now, let me you. ask you something that we haven't talked about really quickly, if you don't mind. And that is, does the pandemic and your treatment of patients
1: differ when it comes to egg donation? Um, really, it doesn't. So egg donation, same same sort of ideas. We're staying open. Um, we're continuing to see the patients. We're continuing to screen egg donors and cycle them. And so we we really haven't done anything different there. The big issue with an egg donor, though, is that when you stop their cycles, if they get COVID during a cycle, it's a much bigger impact on the patients um, because there's lost costs that you can't recover, things like medication that gets paid for, um, the timing with the donor. And I think the impact there is a little bit different than maybe gestational carrier situation where a transfer gets canceled but maybe a lot of the costs were avoided so I think financially it's a it's a bigger deal for the patients or a bigger emotional impact Um, but ultimately we're still doing the same thing we're screening them before they start they get screened again six days before any egg retrievals happen and we're moving forward for exactly the same reason and we talked about eggs don't wait and maybe in an egg donor that's not the same idea but I still think that the patient age or like the intended parent's ability to conceive and move forward, their age really matters and their ability to build the family. So we're not waiting there either.
0: I would also say that for patients who are moving forward with family building using the assistance of an egg donor, there's also a psychological component that's really important to consider. Um, I think that it differs a little bit from surrogacy in that, you know, the decision to move away from using one's own genetics to using the assistance of an egg donor is is quite a journey in, in and of itself. It's a process. It's moving this emotional boundary. And what I have discovered over the years is that the patients who finally get to that point after that soul searching and the assessment of whether or not it's right for them, when they do finally make that decision, they want to move. And you know it was a long road just to make that decision. And the idea of now hitting pause on that is really a difficult one for them.
1: Absolutely agree with your sentiment there. And I, and I would say that I think it makes sense to move forward for all of those reasons.
0: Now, if you had to think about lessons learned over the last 10 months, we've talked about a lot. I think that this has just been one of the most amazing podcasts in my series and, you know, has come at such an incredible moment in time where it's greatly needed. And I think, you know, as we face, you know, this third surge, we are again addressing some of these concerns and anxieties. If you could say one thing to our listeners, of many, you've said many, but if you could point to one that could just offer them a bit of
1: reassurance that it's okay to take that step, what would it be? I would tell patients that I think your medical professionals, fertility providers, the agencies are all working together to make sure we're making this the safest journey possible. We can't eliminate all risk; that would be impossible. But I would encourage all these patients to have frank discussions with their providers about their fears, their anxieties. We can help manage those. Um, Because I think the most important thing in all of this is communication and counseling. And as long as you feel like your team is supporting you in that ways, you should move forward. Because again, time is sort of not on our side when it comes to this stuff. And we want you to have your family now, not a few years down the line. As a leading fertility
0: specialist, Dr. Warner, uh, especially in your emergence in a leadership role at your time at RMA New Jersey, through all of this, have you had one big aha moment for your own practice and the way that you've managed patients or your own insights into to medical care, where you thought, boy, I'm so, and none of us are glad to have lived through this moment in time, right? But I think that we've all learned something miraculous and wonderful. If you could point to something that you've learned that you are now taking into your own practice that will serve you well into the future as you care for patients, what's that aha moment? What is, what is that one singular thing?
1: Um, so I think at the very beginning, it came at the beginning of the pandemic in March or April when we kept our doors open. And, um, you know, you saw all these lawn signs everywhere. I don't know if this was happening in your community. Um, support our essential workers. There'd be the picture of the physician, the nurse, the policeman on those signs. And then I got a small present delivered to the office from one of my patients. And it said, thank you for being an essential worker. And I think I I didn't think of ourselves as that before I really saw a patient expressing that sort of desire. And I think it's really important that um, we treat fertility services as essential. This is not elective. None of this is elective. If you're part of this journey, you're supposed to be here and we shouldn't treat it as an elective procedure. Um, And I think that's sort of what I learned and sort of translated into my practice, how important it is that we're here. Um, and doing this every day for our patients. While I'll continue to be here, um, I thank that patient for sort of putting it into words, something that I wasn't sure that I truly felt, um, because that's how we've been acting. And so I was sort of, um, I was glad or really thankful to have seen that. That is a remarkable story. I have to
0: say, you know, this can be a very difficult line of work sometimes. Emotions are high. Losses can be... Uh, deep and vast. I mean, joys are just incredible. So you really ride the roller coaster of emotions and sentiments during this. So, you know, during those, those more difficult times to receive something like that from a patient, I can't even imagine the joy that that brought to you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So for me, I think my biggest aha moment with this this wonderful discussion with Dr. Werner is that we live in such a unique time where there's so much, there can be uh, a degree of cynicism and doubt and uh, skepticism about, you know, scientists, medicine, medical care, treatment options. And I really believe in, in, in my heart, um, after all these years of working so closely with medical colleagues, is that They really do have the science behind them. They really do have keen insights into science and care. And that we can uh, second guess a lot of it, but they really are the experts here. And the aha for me is to learn to listen and trust your provider if you have a great working relationship and you believe in the care and treatment that you're getting. They really are the experts and that we should be listening to them and following their course of treatment and their example. So I couldn't thank Dr. Warner enough for providing that example to all of us today. And I hope our listeners really gained a lot of insight. Thank you for joining me today and tuning in and listening to our podcast, All Things Conceivable. I hope everybody stays safe and well out there. Until next time, take care. At Conceivabilities, we believe that everyone who wants to become a parent can. Our agency has helped build thousands of families for nearly 25 years. Whether you are an intended parent ready to fulfill your family destiny, a surrogate answering your calling, or an egg donor wanting to expand what's possible in your life, we are your people. See how matching matters learn more by joining our surrogacy learning center community at surrogacylearningcenter.conceivabilities.com.